Welcome to this sermon from Silver Lake Baptist Church. Our mission is to celebrate the greatness of God with all we are for the joy, hope, and renewal of our community. We are so glad you have chosen to listen to our message. We pray you will be blessed by your time with us today. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How's everyone doing? Can you hear me? I got spitting rhymes. I got to get spitting rhymes. Behind the speak, I see. Okay. There. Okay. So, Father, thank you for being here. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness. Just give you the praise in the mighty name of Jesus. Speak through me. Amen. So, how you guys doing? Good. Yeah, it's good to see all you guys' bright and shiny face. Great job, music-wise, and sound really good. And so thankful for you guys. Let's go get right into here because I always run out of time. <laughs> Except today, I got all kinds of time. <laughs> One thing I learned with horses is uh, if you have five minutes, it's going to take you all day. If you have all day, don't take you five minutes. And so I just lie to the horses all the time. I'm like, you know what? I got all day. I really don't. But I'm like, you know, but I do kind of. Like, I, you got to have it in your attention because they can feel it. Like, they can feel when you're coming up to them and how we do that with people too, you know? And so we're always so busy getting to the next place. We're thinking about something that happened way back that so much of the time we forget that we're just here. I was actually my sister and her best friend who I actually own all our life too. She's like a sister to me. We're visiting with us this week. And so we got to go, um, <clears throat> I got to go touring a little bit with them. Um, and so we we go to Friday Harbor and, and we're sitting there waiting for the, not a boat, ferry, right? To, to take us back off of, of San Juan Island. And like we're in line, we've waited an hour and a half anyway, and the boat pulls up, unloads, and it takes off with nobody. And we're all looking around like, did that just happen? It was like, like I've missed boats before, but I've never missed like everybody missing the boat. And then it was, well, we got to unload something else away. Made us wait, brought someone else in, and some another ferry and they unloaded and it pulled out and then it come back and then I was like, are they gonna leave us again? Or are we gonna get to go? You know. But I didn't get upset because I got I was getting hay, you know. And so it was pretty cool. Next day I'm out and I'm thinking, because I got church that night, and so I'm so I'm down off the deception pass and we're walking on the beach and showing them all these things. And there's like seals everywhere. And it was so cool. And my mind was starting to race. Well, what am I gonna preach about? What am I going to do tomorrow? What am I going to do here? What am I going to do there? And I caught myself. I said, wait a second. I'm here with my sister, who I don't get to see very much. I'm in this awesome place with all this beautiful water and these seals and everything coming around. I was like, why don't I just stay right here and enjoy where I'm at? You know what I, I did? And it was awesome. 
And it made me think so much of the time we're so worried about getting somewhere or we're so worried about what happened to us back there that we forget where we're at right now. And we can we can miss blessings all the time in our life because we're just not being present, right? So the Bible says that God's the ever future help. He was a, the past help. Ever present. He's the ever what? Ever present help in time of trouble. He said in, I love this, in, in um, Exodus, because um, it's the first time I think I heard Emmanuel. And that's exactly what it is. Because in Exodus chapter 3, verse 12, it says, uh, actually, I'm going to skip up to 10. It says, so now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? So here God's like, I'm calling you, dude. Like, this dude was raised in, in the courts of Pharaoh. He knew all the workings of everything, right? He was part of the royal family. He was raised by by a princess and then he had killed an Egyptian now he's out here in the middle of Sinai right so he's out here in the middle of Sinai and he's sitting there or out in the middle of the desert for 40 years taking care of sheep and now and I'm sure he settled in and got up the wife you know he got his family got his life there and God says now I want you to go back I want you to go back and I want you to bring my people out and so now Moses is like, who am I, man? Don't you know I, I'm a murderer? Don't you know I killed people? I killed a guy? Don't you know? I go back, Pharaoh's going to have, like, I'm on the most wanted list. Right? And so here he is. He's like, like God, who am I? And you hit your mute button somewhere along the way. No? Okay. Is that clear? No. Give me a battery. Come keep it up and I'll get you some battery. I'll roll it. Yeah, but yeah, you keep going. The folks come on TV. Oh well. No big deal. But here he's telling, he's telling Moses, go back. And Moses is like, I who am I? And do you know what God's response to him was? You're that dude, man. You're that dude. You're the one that I've called for this moment. But he said this. He gave him a promise. And God said, I will be with you. Just that. Keep preaching. I'll be in the way. So see, and this is what Moses was worried about. <laughs> He's like, what if I stand up in front of Pharaoh and my battery runs out on my bike? <laughs> I already stutter and I already talk and I can't say anything. So how am I going to even communicate with that? God even took care of that because because he brought Aaron with him, which was better than a, a microphone, right? Because these guys are on it, aren't they? Isn't that awesome? Look at that. 
What's that? We do. See, I told you. You think you have five minutes? It's going to take you all day. You have all day? It's going to take you five minutes. Right? Like this? Okay. So, so he sent Aaron with me so that Aaron could fix the batteries <laughs> and his microphone so that he could keep preaching. Right? Actually, he sent Aaron, Aaron so he could speak with me. Then I love this because God God said gave him a promise. And do you know what that promise was? And oh <laughs> see, now I'm talking for God and he shows up like a global God. Right? Let me check this real Okay. And God says this I will be with you. I will be with you. You don't have to worry about your past. You don't need to worry about how I'm going to do it. All you got to do is trust that, guess what? I will be with you. Isn't that good news? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then he gives him another pro promise, which was a, an instruction, really, because he said this, and this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people up out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. You know what he's saying? Not only am I with you, but I'm going to prove it because when all this is over, we're going to worship together on this mountain, right? So, so much of the time we're waiting, thinking that we have to get to the mountain to worship God. We're waiting, thinking we got to get to heaven before we can worship God. We're trying waiting. Oh, when Jesus comes back, I'm going to give him the biggest hug because I miss him so much. And Jesus, like, hello, I'm in here. I'm with you. I love you. You don't have to wait till you die. You don't have to wait till I come back. I want to have a relationship with you right here and right now. And that's powerful. That's the entire promise where he says, I will be with you. You see, when the angels showed up and, and they said to Mary, they said, and, and you're going to have a baby. Guess what? The very first virgin birth ever, by the way. And you know what you're going to name him? Scripture doesn't say Jesus. You know what it says? And his name will be what? Emmanuel. Now, was his name Jesus? Yes, his name actually his name is Yeshua, but it still means Jesus. Like I'm pretty sure you don't care if you call him Bob or Fred if you just call him. Yeah. You just like just call me, call me, like the rock song, right? But here he shows up and he says, and his name will be Emmanuel. You know what Emmanuel means? God with us. That's what he's trying to tell him. Look, I, I, Moses, you know what? You ain't alone. I'm with you. Guess what? World, Mary, you ain't alone. Because he literally was with her. Like he literally was, he was in her belly before he was in her heart, maybe. Or maybe both. But think about that. How powerful that is. Emmanuel, God with us. Elohim, the creator, with us. 
So as I, I think about that, it takes me back to Romans, where we've been studying three things so about it. the first Romans one talks about indulgence. It, it's nitpicking and it's meddling because it's talking about my donut habit. Mm -hmm. I like chocolate donuts and milk, you know, and I like them too much because I just don't end up with one. I end up with four, right? Right. So you can indulge in anything, right? And the reason we usually indulge is, is sometimes the donuts are so good, you know, but also we're trying to get satisfied. And that's why, like, I, I eat a donut, you know, another donut when it's so good, man, you just can't get enough, right? But if you're trying to do that to make yourself right, if you're trying to do that to fill a hole in your heart, then that's taking the place of God, right? And so I don't want that donut to save me. I want God to save me. I don't want to depend on something external to give me internal hope and love. Does that make sense? Or security. Then Romans 2 is talking about, and it can't, not just donuts. And if you eat donuts, eat donuts. You're free. Don't judge no matter what he eats, drinks, or like a scripture. So don't judge me. You eat donuts too, right? Eat something, right? But, but the point being, it is, it's all about Jesus. Romans 2 is talking about what? Comparison. Compar comparing yourself to others and comparing others to you or comparing yourself to God and saying, well, I don't measure up. And Come on now. And it's a slippery slope. Then we get off of that and we go, well, I got the indulgence thing taken care of and I'm not judging anymore, but guess what? I can save myself. So if I just don't eat the donuts, if I just don't judge or compare myself with others, then, and if I do this and if I do that, then guess what I've done? I've saved myself. You know what, Jesus, you really kind of wasted your time. Like, you should have just stayed up there in heaven because I really didn't need you. I got this. That's really what you're saying. And that's not, not the case at all. So we try to save ourselves by what? By making ourselves good enough in our own self. And that's where the more you try to do it, the worse it gets. Right? I, I learned that training horses. Like, I'll work on a horse, and I'll get him doing the right thing. And then I'll be like, it feels so good, especially cutting horses. We'll be working a cow, and that horse is just like, boom, boom, boom. And then the horse starts getting tired. But it feels so good. I just want to keep doing it, right? And so it'll mess up. So I'm like, well, I just want to get this feeling again. So I'll start trying to get that again going. And it just turns into a wreck. So what I learned was when I get it right, stop. I let the horse think about it. And then I'm like, you know, I got good job. Let's do this again tomorrow. You know what? It changed rather than trying to be perfect because you're going to wear yourself out. Right? Friend of mine, um, he's actually on our Cowboy Church board. Um, really great guy. Um, where is he? I love how he put this. He said, the thing I love about God is he intentionally guides people into failure. <laughs> now think about that. Moses. Look at him. 
except Moses was perfect, right? Never messed up. Abraham, he was perfect, right? Like he never messed up. The disciples, I mean, for heaven's sakes, that's the only reason God chose them is because they never failed. They never made a mistake. Am I right? Why are you guys laughing? He says, the thing I love about God is he intentionally guides people into failure. He made us to be born as little kids who can't walk or talk or even use a bathroom correctly. Now think about that. We have to be taught everything. All that learning takes time. And he made us so we are dependent on him, our parents, and each other, and each other. The whole thing is designed so we try again and again until we finally get it right. And the whole time he is endlessly patient. Can you think about that? Like, I never thought about it that way. This dude's one of the top team ropers on the planet. Really good hand. Loves Jesus. Pastor started a cowboy church and, and it excelled. And then he's off doing rodeo ministry now or cowboy ministry all over the place. But when we talk, we talk about roping and horses. And we talk about this very thing. When we're training horses, you know what we do? We allow that horse through to mess up, make mistakes, move. As long as its feet are moving, you know what we do? We let him move. And pretty soon he finds that place where he's supposed to be. And when he steps in that right place, you know what we do? That's good. He can rest. You can breathe. This is where I want you. And we're not making that horse do something. We're teaching that horse. This is where you're to be. And the Bible says this. He says, in him, we live and move and have our being. Now watch this. As we're coming to the end of Romans 3, it says this. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, to this is to trying to save ourselves, so that every mouth may be silenced in the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Now you're like, well, Pastor James, it just talks about that once, right? I'm glad you said that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11 says this. Since then, we know that what is what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. Or since then, we know that what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. Did you hear that? So what's your conscience? Who you are the observer of your thoughts. You have those thoughts that come and say, you need to save yourself. You need to eat that donut. Oh, look at that person. Look at what they're wearing. Or look at Pastor Dennis. He just ate four donuts. <laughs> right? You get these thoughts. And then on the other hand, you say, Man, he's still so handsome. How did he do that? 
you're the observer of your thoughts. That's your conscience. You can think, you get this conscience and you get guilty. Anybody feel guilty like you did mess up and you're like, oh, I'm so rotten. I shouldn't have done that. And then if you let that stay in there and say, oh, that's who I am. Do you know what that is? That's a sin conscious. And that's not who you are. In fact, that's what Paul's saying right here. What we are, what we're telling you is for the sake of men, but what you are is plain to God. And what are you? You're justified. You're saved. Your sons and your daughters of the most high God. Jesus died for you. Not because you're good, because he's good. But you are made in his image. Let me remind you. He sees a God in you. He sees a hope in you. He sees a good in you. And he wants you to see it in yourself too. And I love this. We're, we're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer for those who take pride is what is in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. For if we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because what we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. You know what he's saying? For God to love the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes on him will not perish but have everlasting life. He's saying, you know what? One died. Adam fell. All fell. Jesus died. We all died. That's how powerful the cross is. And he's like, they're looking at you like you're out of your mind, dude. See, they're judging while they're eating too many cupcakes. Say, so we can save ourselves. And that's what he said. There's no boasting in that. And he says this. We are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from the worldly point of view. Though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, now what do we say? If it says therefore, we always ask, what's it there for, right? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. All this is from God who reconciles us to himself through Christ and gave us a ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting in sin against them. What am I saying? It's not about, it's not about sin no more. He's like, I, I paid the bill, man. I, like I already, like, like you ever go to dinner? And then everyone are arguing over the bill. And and you sneak out and you go and you pay the bill for someone. They're like, hey, I need to pay. And you're like, I'm sorry, but someone paid it for you already. No, I'm going to pay it. You ever have anyone do that? I'm going to pay you anyway. 
you know, even though it's paid, they're like, you don't need to pay me. The debt's settled. It's done. That would be silly, wouldn't it? But that's what we do. And that's what trying to save ourselves does. And so then it comes down back to Romans 3, 31. But now righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. The righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to some, to all who believe. There is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Isn't that good news? That's good news to me. Because now that takes all the pressure off of me to save myself. Because if I could have, I wouldn't have needed Jesus. Now we drop down, I'm going to drop on down to Romans 4, 1. It says this. What shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. He believed God so much that when God told him they're going to have a kid at 100, he laughed. Sarah laughed. He believed God so much that he gave his wife away twice. <laughs> Abraham wasn't perfect. But when you go to the Hall of Faith, you know whose name's in that Hall of Faith? Abraham. He believed God, and God credited it to him as righteous. Not everything he did was perfect. The guy's like, man, that's my friend. That's my man. Like, wait till you see what comes out of that, that boy, man. He's awesome. Look at him. And he's like, oh, man, I can't believe he done that. I don't know how I'm ever going to get him out of this mess. What's the matter with him? Like, are you, am I the only one who ever gets in masses? <laughs> Right? They were like, oh, God's so mad at me. God's like, yeah, could have done that a little different, but let's go on from here. Right? And so here, here, Abraham's justification didn't come. There was no law. It did not come from law, but it came through believing God. We're not justified by what we do. We're justified by who we are, and who we are comes about by what we believe. Does that make sense? You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, not because you're good, because Jesus is, and he died for you. That makes sense? Now, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift. But as an obligation, you hear what I'm saying? I got to shoe a horse. Like, I'm not chewing up there to see their smile. Like, I'm like, hey, you know what? I shoe this horse, and they look at me and say, oh, thank you for coming out here. Really appreciate that. And what I do, I take my shoes back. Right? 
hey, this ain't, right? But if I come up and say, oh, I just want to help you. I want to bless you. Here, this is a gift. There's no obligation. You hear what I'm saying? You don't have to pay for it. But here's what happens is, is most of the time that happens and then someone's like, well, I'll, I'll, it's okay. I don't need, I, I don't need you. I got it. You know what I've learned to do in my life? It's the most powerful word I've ever learned. Two words. Thank you. Because it's not just coming from you, but it's coming from God. And then it's also humbling me, saying, you know what? I'm not my source. I have a source that's greater than me. The thing I learned with horses is like people give horses treats all the time. And it bugs me. Because all it does is it turns the horse into a 1,200-pound dog. How many of you know you don't want a 1,200-pound dog sitting on your lap? <laughs> right? They don't listen. If you don't have a treat, you are in trouble, right? And so I don't want that horse to think the treat as a source. I want that the, uh, the treat as a source. I want the horse to realize I'm the source. And in me, we're going to have a relationship. And we're, when we have that relationship, you know what we're going to do? We're going to be able to move and live and be together, right? And then it's not a 1,200 pound dog. Those aren't fun sitting on your lap. I've had a few of them. <laughs> Promise you. Right? So it says this. So it's an obligation, however, to the man who does not work, but trust God who justifies the wicked. His faith is credited as right way. I'm out. Did you, did you, however, the man who does not work, but trust God, who justifies, God justifies the wicked. What? He just, I didn't say that. Paul did. Who trusts, not works, but trusts God, who justifies the wicked. His faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing. You know what he's saying in David when David says he's saying in the Torah, in the Psalms. Watch this. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Now watch this. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. And mind you, this is King David. He was perfect in every way. He never made a mistake. Like, like he's just, everything he did just blossomed, right? Never went through anything. So it's easy for him to say this, right? No. Dude, killed someone? Killed some killed killed the husband of the woman he was he had a baby with. Let's get right with that, right? And then he went on and made all kinds of other mistakes and sins, and 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 you watch his life, but the Bible says that he was a man after God's own heart. You know why? Because everyone was looking at the outside and God was looking at his heart. So that means. And so David's like saying, he's the, if anyone can say this and I say it with conviction and meaning and believe it, it's David. The danger, of, I love this, is we always think of the, the danger is to um, exaggerate the gospel. 
But I think the danger is that we grossly, grossly underestimated. This is the best news ever. If God's that good. Amen? Mm -hmm. And that's the clock. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for loving us. And thank you for being with us. Amen. Mm -hmm. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, check out our website at www.silverlakebaptist.org.